0: Happy Mother's Day. Welcome. Glad that you are here this weekend. On the way in, they hand you the notes. If you want to get those out, we're actually going to wrap up our series that we've been in uh, called In the Meantime, and we're going to talk about moms this weekend. Uh, The example we'll use will be Mary. We'll go there in uh, in just a second. I got two things that uh, I want to cover. The first one, uh, real quick, one of our pastors, uh, Evan Martin, Pastor Evan and Emily, Lakewood campus pastor, Uh, Ev got his MDiv this weekend. And uh, it's a, it's quite an achievement uh, to go back and get your master's uh, in your education. And I uh, graduated yesterday. And I wanted to take a moment. And I think we should just put our hands together and tell him well done. Really, uh, really exciting. So I, I I noticed people looking around like, is he here right now? Um, so he's the Lakewood campus pastor. <laughs> And uh, he's actually, uh, Lakewood, make sure and cheer him on when you, uh, when you see him. Um, but he's, uh, he's celebrating. We're, we're just so, so very proud of him. And, um, and for Mother's Day, let me just say quickly, um, for all the moms, uh, these two things would be my... Uh, I just, I'm, telling, um, I'm telling every mom that I run into, may these two things happen. Uh, may your children spoil you tomorrow. Yeah. That's a real good place to say, like... Yeah, now I heard a deep ooh Yeah, I, that's a different thing, bro. Um, this is this is a chance for your children to to honor you. May they may they spoil you. May they pamper you. And um, I, I wanted to say uh, to my mom, who um, I, I'm going to go down and spend the day with in, in Pueblo on Monday, and just hang out with her. I wanted to wish her a happy Mother's Day uh, personally too. I have a great mom, and um, if uh, if you are um, if you are already an adult and your mother is still around, make sure and um, make sure and let her know that you that you appreciate her. Uh, we we're praying tonight. Dan, um, I think he said it tongue in cheek a little bit, but he said we do owe all of our mothers our lives. And he is, he is right about that right there. So make sure and, uh, and do that. Okay, uh, let's jump in uh, at the welcome right there. We are different locations, but we are one church and we come together over the weekend to celebrate that. And even though um, it is in different places and it meets at different times, we are doing one thing. And that's that we come together to worship and love and to um, to, to, uh, to pursue Jesus together. Uh, the opening right here, it's called In the Meantime, and the, uh, the thought, the series, the uh, premise behind it is what do you do when there's nothing you can do? And I've said every week that when I say that, I think people that don't understand that would tend to think what do you do um, when you don't know what to do? And that's, that's not what this is about. This is like when it is what it is, and when you look at the situation, you realize I may have to go through it, not around it, I can't uh, escape it, I can't walk away from it. It's, uh, it may just be something that I'm required to do. Uh, sometimes self-imposed and sometimes out of our control. And I mentioned areas like uh, it may be marriage. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations in our marriage where it's just simply not what we want it to be. Uh, we didn't intentionally go that direction. Uh, it, it's not something that we're hoping for. And the point would be that you don't wanna get stuck there, but at times you can find yourself in a place in marriage Where when you look at it, you just simply realize, man, it's not changing right now, and uh, I I don't want to walk away from it. I don't want to cash it in, but for right now, it is what it is, and what does that person do in the meantime? I said maybe it's finances. You just realize that all your financial dreams are not coming true. Maybe you're even seeing that uh, uh, as you look at the near future on that, you can't flip a switch there's just no, no way to go um, any deeper, no way to turn it around. Again, maybe not your fault, maybe somebody else's fault, maybe a downsize, maybe an economy issue in the last few years, whatever. But maybe you find yourself in that place where you just simply, what do I do about this? And you realize there's just simply no way around it. You're going to have to go through something. So what does that person do? Do you cash in your faith at that time? Do you, do you lose it? Do you just run from it? How does that person survive that and actually uh, how, how can you come out of that uh, better and not bitter? Maybe it's health. Maybe you've been diagnosed with something that won't kill you, but they can't cure it. Maybe you're dealing with something that's even painful. And as you just look at the near future and going forward, how do you make it through that? What do you do in that situation right there? And maybe it's academic. As I mentioned tonight, Evan gets his MDiv. Um, you know, he, he's a father of four, and it's taken him many years to go back and do this at this point in his life. He had to set a plan and it's taken a long time and Evan just realized in order to go where I wanna go at some point in my life uh, to do this is gonna take time and I'm gonna to have to be dedicated to it and it was something that I think looking back, he probably wishes he did it before he got married and certainly before he had kids. I could get, Here's what he told me. My time between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. suddenly got freed up and you know exactly if you've done it. Uh, that's a, it's a big thing, but it's, it's taken him several years to do it. And, uh, sometimes we just realize, man, we're in the middle of something that to get there, we're going to have to go through it. And I also mentioned kids and that's where I'll kind of focus on this one tonight because I'm going to go into moms a little bit. I'll use Mary, but I mentioned with children, sometimes it's just simply as they grow up and they become adults, they may make choices that aren't your choices. They may not even serve the God that you love. And that you raise them to serve. You may find yourself at opposite ends of that spectrum at some point in life. And you realize there's just no easy way through this. It's not what I would choose. And it hurts. And you recognize, man, what am I going to do about this? And as a believer, I've said this multiple times. Here, here's the point for all believing parents. The most important day in, in all of history will be the day that we stand before the Lord. And there's not a believing parent who wants to look over and see that circle of their family broken, yes or no? You want every one of them there and every one of them accounted for. Do you agree with that right there? And sometimes we look at our circumstance and our situation in life we think to ourselves, this did not go the way I wanted it to go. Maybe you think, I don't deserve this. How did this happen? Nonetheless, you're walking through something. How does that person hold on? How does that person prosper in that and how does that person continue to believe God. So I guess that's a little bit where we would go tonight and, um, and kind of move into this. And this uh, I have said the entire time too. When we find ourselves in those situations, the two questions we always want to ask ourselves is, does God know and does God care? How could this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? I love God. I serve God. How could I find myself in this situation? And I'll remind you one more time, maybe the most important thing to remember through all of this, sometimes God can be silent and his silence does not equal his absence in your life. Silence does not equal anger. And silence does not equal apathy. God does know and God does care. And there are just simply some things that God can't do any other way except to get our attention and walk with us through some difficult things. And I know nobody gets a, That's not a rah-rah message. Nobody signs up for like, I want the difficult things. Nobody wants We avoid that like the plague, yes or no? But sometimes we find ourselves, here, I'll do the demonstration. Watch this. How many of you love God but have been in difficult circumstances in your life? Yes. Some of you are like, I, don't, I just don't even want to go there, Pastor. Keep me away from that. I, I don't blame you. So the message may hit you one of three places. Maybe I should have spoke on it two years ago when you needed it the most. Maybe it's really applicable right now because what I said or one of the things I referred to you're going through. Or maybe you're like in a really great place and you're just praying, I never want to go there. I don't blame you. So what would I do if I was that person? Just keep the notes. You never know. You just may need it at some point, sometime in your life. So uh, here's where we'll go this time at the transition. Talking about trusting God with your children. Go gonna talk about Mary. So let me, uh, Mary's background real quickly. Uh, I, I think that um, Christmas time Spoils uh, the reality of who Mary was, what Mary looked like, uh, sort of her background. Hollywood paints a picture for us. We think in pictures. And so once we get a picture in our mind, we aim ourselves towards that. So uh, here, most scholars agree, Mary. Uh, when she's betrothed to Joseph, is about 14 years old, between 14 and 15. That was uh, the way that it was in that culture and in that place in particular. So, real quickly, uh, dads who are raising young daughters at 14 or can you even imagine that scenario? I can't even imagine that that scenario. So she's she's a very uh, young woman uh, in that particular place and in that particular culture to be uh, pregnant outside of wedlock uh, is, is equal to death. They can stone a person for such as that. And then get this picture. We have a very cleaned up, sanitized version of it. We, we, we look at the virgin birth and we accept it after the fact in a very sanitized, cleaned up story. But imagine the story happening in real time This woman saying God has done something that he's never done before. All right, think with me for for a moment here. Think about this. Think about that story. If if you heard that story, how likely are you to believe that story? Can you understand the words that are coming out of my (laughs) mouth tonight? I think just think about the story for a moment. It's, it's an incredible story. It's, it's, it's Hollywood in many ways has painted a picture for us, but it's such an inaccurate picture of the pressure she would have been under and the place she would have been under and her relationship with Jesus. So Jesus was God, but Jesus was also all man and Mary uh, experienced all the things that a mom would experience with a child. So as I try to go to that place tonight, uh, I'll give you 3 little vignettes that I think probably um, were places where Mary just had to trust God and walk with the Father when it came to being a mom. So uh, if you got a pen, you may want to fill in the blanks. One, um, here, here's what I would just say tonight. Trusting God with your children, using Mary uh, as an idea. One, trust that God has a plan and a purpose for your child. Trust that God has a plan and a purpose for your child. And sometimes when our children begin to uh, simply go their own direction, whether it's breaking away or whether it's just simply uh, making choices in life. Sometimes, I think the, the lie that the enemy wants to hit us with is that man, God's plan and purpose is being ruined. Uh, God's plan and purpose now will, will, never, will never come to pass. The things that, I, that I've hoped for and the things that I've prayed for and all the things that I've believed God for, they're, they're going to be dashed to the ground. We read about one of these times in Luke chapter 1, which is Luke's version of, um, of, of Mary um, becoming pregnant by the Holy Spirit and how everything took place. So the angel Gabriel is sent to Nazareth to announce this to Mary. We find the story here, and it reads this way. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth's uh, son was John. John is the baptizer, so it's Jesus' cousin. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Look at this honest and I think very real response. Confused and disturbed. I mean, look, just again, look at the story. An angel shows up. And the angel says, you are highly favored favored and God you have God's attention. we read it now through very sanit- can you imagine this young girl hearing this message it's a powerful message and her response to that I mean think, think of her humility she doesn't go well it's about time <laughs> or I've been praying a long time or of course look at what a real and honest response from a person confused and disturbed Mary tried to think what the angel could mean The angel realizes it and just speaks directly to her heart. Don't be afraid, Mary. The angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive, give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. What a powerful plan and purpose. Here's my, just real quickly. Fast forward 33 years. 33 years. Do you think Mary stood at the foot of the cross wondering, was I lied to? Just so think about it for a moment. Do you think she ever had a moment where she doubted, could God's plan and purpose actually come to be at this point in my life? Could this be, could, could God be doing this with my son? So think about that for a moment. Because I would think in my mind, standing there watching one of my children go through that, I I will confess to you, I would lose all my faith and doubt that this could be God's will for my child. You? Yes? No? Maybe? The the concept is just, we read it so sanitized after. But the truth of the matter is, every parent, and in particular moms, have that point in time, and maybe it's multiple times, where you have to trust that God has a plan and a purpose for your child. Look, um, Jesus was the master storyteller. And he used stories because it's a universal language. Music and stories are universal. They appeal to people. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter what your background is. It draws us in. It speaks to us. And when you find stories that can do that, that can can identify a particular person at a particular time going through something, it hits our heart. I say that. There's a book that I read several years ago. That talked about the influence that a woman had over a child. And it's such a powerful story. Every time I read it, so Charles Wendell, it was from one of, do you, you know that name at all? If I, if I say that name, it's one of my favorite authors. He's a retired pastor now. And I've, I've used the story, but it's just so, it's so powerful. And sometimes when you look at a person's life, you don't see the purpose, you don't see how God could use something but it talks about a teacher and a student, and it just reads this way. She stood in front of her fifth grade class on the very first day of school. She told the children an untruth. Like most teachers, she looked at her students and said that she loved them all the same. However, that was impossible because there in the front row slumped in a seat was a little boy named Teddy Starr. Mrs. Thompson had watched Teddy the year before and noticed that he did not play well with other children. His clothes were messy, He constantly needed a bath, and in addition, Teddy could be an unpleasant kid. It got to the point where Mrs. Thompson would actually take delight in marking his papers with big red ink, making bold S's and then putting big F's at the top of his papers. At the school where Mrs. Thompson taught, she was required to review each child's past record, and she put Teddy's off until the very last one. However, when she reviewed his file, she was in for a surprise. Teddy's first grade teacher wrote, Teddy is a bright child with a great sense of humor. He does his work neatly and has good manners. He's a joy to be around. She's confused because this isn't the kid that sits in her class now. His second grade teacher wrote this note, Teddy is an excellent student, well liked by his classmates, but he is troubled because his mother has a terminal illness and life at home has become a struggle with his father. His third-grade teacher wrote these words, his mother's death has been hard on him. He tries to do his best, but his father doesn't show much interest, and his home life will soon affect him if someone doesn't take steps now. Teddy's fourth-grade teacher wrote this note, Teddy is withdrawn and doesn't show much interest in school, he doesn't have many friends, and he sometimes sleeps in class. At this point, Mrs. Thompson realized the problem, and she was ashamed of herself, She felt even worse when her students brought her Christmas presents wrapped in beautiful ribbons and bright paper, except for Teddy's. His present was clumsily wrapped in heavy brown paper that he got from a grocery bag. Mrs. Thompson took pains to open it. In the middle of the other presents, some of the children started to laugh when she found a rhinestone bracelet with some of the stones missing in a bottle that was one quarter full of perfume. But she stifled the children's laughter when she exclaimed how pretty the bracelet was putting it on and dabbing some of the perfume on her wrist. Teddy stayed after school that day just long enough to say to his teacher, today you smell just like my mom used to. After the children left, she cried, she cried. That very day she quit teaching, reading, writing, and arithmetic, and instead she began to teach children. Mrs. Thompson paid particular attention to Teddy. As she worked with him, his mind seemed to come alive. The more she encouraged him, the faster he responded. By the end of the year, Teddy had become one of the smartest children in the class. Despite her lie, she would love all the children the same, Teddy became one of the teacher's pets. A year later, she found a note under the door from Teddy telling her that she was the best teacher he ever had in his whole life. Six years went by, before she got another note from Teddy. He then wrote that he had finished high school, third in his class, and she was still the best teacher he ever had in his life. Four years after that, she got another letter saying that while things had been tough at times, he stayed in school, stuck with it, and would soon graduate from college with the highest of honors. He assured Mrs. Thompson that she was still the best, the most favorite teacher he ever had in his whole life. Then four more years passed, and yet another letter. This time he explained that after he got his bachelor's degree, he decided to go a little further. The letter said that she was still the best and favorite teacher he ever had, but now his name was a little longer. The letter was signed Theodore Stoddard, M.D. The story doesn't end there. There was yet another letter that spring. Teddy said he met the girl that he was going to be married to. He explained that his father had died a couple of years ago, and he was wondering if Mrs. Thompson might agree to sit at the wedding in place that was usually reserved for the mother of the groom. Of course, she agreed. She wore the bracelet, the one with several rhinestones missing. Moreover, she made sure that she was wearing the perfume that Teddy remembered his mother wearing on their last Christmas together. They hugged each other and Dr. Stoddard whispered in Mrs. Thompson's ear, thank you for believing in me. Thank you so much for making me feel important and showing me that I could make a difference. Sometimes God's plan, man, it's just, when you look at it from the outside, it looks like all hell is broken loose. It looks like everything has failed. It looks like the devil has won in the situation. And the most important thing that a mom can do at that point is to remind the kid who he really is, even when the kid doesn't want to hear it. It's holding that place and never forgetting and never giving up and being the influence. It's difficult to trust God. Believe that he has a plan and a purpose for your child when it doesn't look like your child is going the direction that you think God wants. But I assure you, God is greater, more powerful, and bigger than anything the enemy can pull. I assure you, at times, that is exactly what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. You can't look at the situation and let the enemy dictate to you what the end of the matter looks like. Here's what Solomon said, the wisest man who ever lived. The end of the matter is better than the beginning. And holding on to that truth and not letting go of that truth and remembering God is faithful. And tell me that for a parent, and in particular for a mother, once you decide to have a child, here's the decision you really made. That from that point forward, your heart walks outside of your body for the rest of your life till you die. Yes or no? So, no wonder the devil prods and pokes and picks at that. It's where we can be most vulnerable in a situation. Does God know and does God care? Yes. Sometimes that silence screams at us He's angry, He's absent. He's apathetic. I assure you, your God works all the time. And when you can't see his hand, trust his heart. Trust his heart. Give you the second one. Trust God that you are the parent that your child needs. There wasn't a mistake, there wasn't a mismatch. There wasn't somehow a cosmic misconnection. Trust God that you are the parent that your child needs. A little further in Luke's story, chapter 2 this time, we don't get a whole lot about the life of Jesus from the time he was born to the time he starts ministry. In fact, there's really only one story where we read about Jesus in between being an infant and then starting his ministry at 30. And we read about him when he's twelve. And he does something that's naughty. Now, just don't confuse naughty with sin. He's a kid. But not just any kid. Like, the smartest kid that ever lived. And so Luke tells the story this way. When Jesus was 12 years old, they, so it's Mary, Joseph, Jesus, and his siblings, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. They had gone to Jerusalem in order to celebrate Feast of Tabernacles. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. Now, yes or no, this is a real story. Don't sit there and act like you've never done it. We've done it. When you have five, you judge by the noise level if everybody's there. Sometimes the noise level's just up. I, it happen to me when I was a kid. We were on a vacation in, in Arizona, going to the Grand Canyon, stopped at a gas station. I lingered too long in the bathroom, came out, and the station wagon's gone down the road. And I walked into the gas station, tears running. My mom and dad left me. They don't have cell phones at this point. You chiseled things in stone and left it out for the dinosaur to bring to whoever. I don't know how many minutes went by. It seemed like hours. But maybe it was five minutes. And back they come, and my mom's crying. My dad's mad. And I got a spanking. This is back in the day when they'd spank you for stuff like this. I'm glad you're alive because I'm going to kill you. And. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers, the relatives. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Can you imagine the panic in Mary? Moms, have you ever been there? You know. Pure panic sets in. (laughs) Three days later... They finally discovered him. How many days later? (laughs) So we read these stories so sanctified. Put yourself, can you see them coming into the temple? Where have you been? (laughs) Am I the only one who reads it and finds humor? The rest of your life. I think it's sacrilege. No, this is put in here to see the reality of a a real situation. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, look how polite. Son, his mother said to him, Why have you done this to us? This is a very carefully edited text right here. (laughs) Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, Jesus asked. Didn't you know that I must be about, that I must be in my father's house about his business? But they didn't understand what he meant. I wonder if Mary flashed back at that point. And an angel telling her. I wonder... Past the birth if everything was just ordinary. I wonder if Jesus was mischievous at times. I wonder if they had to tell him to eat his vegetables. (laughs) Follow with me for a minute. I wonder if things were very average. I wonder if she even forgot. And then this happens and suddenly she's reminded... This is more than, you know, she gave birth to him in a natural way. But she got pregnant in a supernatural way. She changed his diaper. She dried his tears. She bandaged his, his cuts. She kissed his boo-boos. She rocked him to sleep. She loved him like a mother would love a child. We read it all supernatural. There's a real human side to this story. You imagine her heart? And suddenly she's reminded. I wonder if when he said, I got to be about my father's business, I wonder if she looked at Joseph and thought, What didn't you tell me? And then she remembered. They didn't understand what he meant. But he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. It's actually the second time the Bible says that. After the angel Gabriel came to her the very first time to tell her that she's highly favored and that God's going to do something supernatural with her, here's what the Bible says. She pondered these things in her heart. In other words, she has no expression for it, so she just thought about over and over. And here it happens again. What's going on here? I mean, she knew it was supernatural, but do you think she knew where he was headed? Trust God that you are the parent your child needs. Let's tell you a quick story. When I was a young dad with three little ones, not five, but three. My two oldest. If Chris and I had the chance to get out and go do anything to the store, to eat, or just for a walk, every time we'd come back, Amy had organized the other two into some kind of a play. And it was every time we came back home. Once or twice, it was cute. (laughs) But time after time, and it was like... Multiple levels of a play that would go on and on and on and on. And I'd sit there and I'd be like, dear God. And she would end it by dancing. She would always dance for us. And I remember being frustrated. And thinking I was too busy and had too much going on. And I think at some point, I must have said something or responded in a way that a guy, (laughs) I'm going to call him older, but he was probably my age now. And a guy took me out, and he told me this story that slayed my heart. And this is what the guy said to me. He said, when I was a young dad, my daughter used to want to dance for me all the time. But I was always too busy to watch her. He said, now she dances for other men. And he said, I'd go back and do anything I could to let her, that I wanted to pay attention to her now. So I went home and every dance she wanted to do and every play she wanted to do, I'd sit there and just eat it up. And I never told her. We were sitting in my driveway a month or two ago. I have a daughter in her 30s now. And we just started talking about all those plays and all those dances. And I said, did I ever tell you why I would watch it to the very end? Because I wanted you to know that there was a man you were more than enough for. You didn't have to give that to anybody else or show that to anybody else. Your dad was interested in what you were doing. Sometimes the decisions we make in the smallest moment, we have no idea of the impact. 20 years and 30 years and 40 years later, look at me just real quick. You are all the parent your kid needs. The devil does a great job convincing us we don't know what we're doing. And that we've blown it and we're falling short and I promise you, God knew just what He was doing. Hang in there. Just hang in there, man. I'll give you the last one. Trust God when there's nothing you can do. Trust God when there's nothing you can do. This is an obscure scripture, it's from John's gospel. I don't know if you um, ever put the story of how the cross worked out and who was there, but the Bible tells us that all the disciples basically fled. Remember, we talked about Peter in this, and we talked about John, and we've kind of gone through character after character. The Bible tells us that all the disciples fled, but not everybody left Jesus. I don't know if you ever recognize who stood by his side the entire time. But I think it's interesting that the Bible records this one scripture. John 19.25, it says, Standing by the cross were Jesus' mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Four women. Didn't care what it would cost them. But one in particular his mother stood right by the cross the whole time I just want to ask you the question do you think she felt helpless and powerless to help her son do you think she had to stand there and pour her heart out before the father and go how could this be how could this happen I don't understand this. Do you think... I don't know about you, but I, I guess... The one thing I knew about my mom, nobody messed with her kids. She was a tiger by the tail if you messed with her kids. And I know this about my kids' mom. It's the one thing you don't mess with. And yet there's times... We just find ourselves helpless. A circumstance steps in. A life choice. The law. The disease. The devil. What about that person? Trust God when there's nothing you can do maybe that's scary maybe that's like the place we want to avoid but I would just say this to you sometimes coming to the end of yourself could be the best day of your life because when you stop God can and trusting him when you can't do anything sounds powerless but it may be the position of power that actually turns a situation around And I thought when I wrote this and would come to the point where I'd close it, how would I pray? What would I say? Our situation, we have a son that's so incredible. And yet was born with such a disability, man. I feel so helpless sometimes. I can't fix it. And I think what will happen when we can't do anything, when we can't provide anymore for them, we're not here. Do you ever feel helpless? Do you ever feel like there's just not enough money to fix a situation? There's not enough time? There's not enough power? Trust God. Look at me. I'm not up here just spouting words right now. My heart breaks at times because I'm powerless to do anything about it. And yet, and yet, I have the most dynamic son who is such a gift and a blessing in our family. And I know it's going to sound weird, but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And yet I feel powerless sometimes. Trust God when you can't do anything about it. Who else are you gonna trust? Jesus, I come to the end of me. I've got nothing else that I can say, nothing else that I can do. And maybe that's the very best place to come to. And Lord, I know there are people in this room, like I said, maybe this was really appropriate five years ago. Maybe your children are at an age where everything's just gone so wonderfully well, you can't even imagine a message like this having an application. I celebrate with you, please don't misunderstand me. I celebrate with you, and I rejoice with you, and I pray it never changes. But maybe someone this weekend hears this message and feels helpless. Maybe you feel hopeless. And maybe the devil's done a really good job of just convincing you that God doesn't know and God doesn't care. And maybe you cry out and you feel like you're not hearing anything. We walk by faith and not by sight. It's easy to say, it's harder to do. But I just pose the question back to you Really, when you're out of control, there's nothing you can do. It's out of your hands. Who are you going to trust? The invitation from the Father is to trust Him, to put it in His hands. So maybe you feel like, gosh, I've done it over and over and over again, and I see no change. I invite you again to trust Him. I invite you again to walk by faith and not by sight. I invite you again to rally faith in your heart. Lord, I just ask that you would do that, that you would strengthen and help your people. Lord, in particular, if there is a family, a mom, dad, a child is just struggling right now, be merciful, pour out your grace and God help us, help us, God by faith I know you hear every prayer we pray and every tear that falls to the ground, you know the number, you know the prayers. Thank you that no one can snatch us out of your hand. God, rally faith inside of us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.